Well, good morning. We're going to jump into this. That's why we're in 1 Timothy. Now, in order to put this in context, you have an outline in your bulletin on page 7. And we're talking about chaos and order. And I want to put church officer election in context. Because Paul, here in 1 Timothy, is writing to one of his disciples and apprentices, and guys he coached and led to Christ with Timothy, um, a pastor who's pastoring a church. Now, Ephesus is right dead in the middle of Asia Minor. Big city. It had a, had a port that's now silked up, surrounded by hills. It was a Roman provincial capital. It had the uh, 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 temple of Diana, the huntress, and everybody came there for that, and all the Roman offices. It was quite a place. In fact, the quay that led, led from the harbor down the street into the main business district was lighted at night. They burned fuel on pillars. There was only two cities, maybe three, in the world at that time that had night lights. That was uh, uh, Egypt. What's the big city in Egypt? Not Cairo, but back then. Alexandria, Egypt, Rome, and Ephesus. That's how important it was. And you can go there now. The harbor is filled up. It's, it's just dirt. Uh, but the quay is still there because the mud came down from the hills and covered everything in mud, and they just abandoned the city. And so now they're excavating it. You can walk where Paul walked. It's really amazing. Paul went to Ephesus because it was central. And everybody came into Ephesus. And so you've got places like Colossae, the book of Colossians, Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonica, uh, Philippians, Philippi, that was up north. They would come there and people would get saved. And, uh, for example, um, uh, Onesimus and uh, that book we studied, they became saved because they came to Ephesus and then they went back home. So this is how central it was. Paul spent three years there. So you know this was big stuff if he's going to spend three years in one place because he loved to travel. Now, he's got the church set up. It's three years old. He taught day and night. Okay? And now he's planting other churches in uh, Corinth and, and Achaia. And then he's going on to Rome. And he might have even gone to Spain. But he's leaving these men that he trained, Titus and Crete, uh, Timothy and Ephesus, and so he can move out to the next place. And uh, you look at Timothy for a moment. Paul had authority. He had met the risen Christ, talked to him personally. Okay? And that, and Jesus had made him an apostle and then had given him revelation. And then he had given him the proof of an apostle, which is signs. A snake would bite him and fall off, and it wouldn't hurt him. He could heal people. In fact, they would bring a handkerchief and touch it and take it back to the sick person. That person would be healed. Paul had a lot going for him. He needed it because he's sharing the gospel with people that these are pagans. They're Greek and Roman pagans. And now he's talking about monotheism. These aren't Jews. They're polytheists if they have any religion. And he's sharing the gospel and talking about sin and salvation. And they are like, whoa, only the Holy Spirit could open the heart like Lydia to get all this straight and be born again. And in three years, they grow so much that he in 1 Timothy 3 can give this 
uh, character traits that are required for officers. And you look at it and you say, how can someone change so much in three years? I mean, they didn't have Bible conferences. They didn't even have a Bible. I mean, all they had was the Old Testament. And then they had no copies of it. All they had was the teaching of the apostles. And they changed so dramatically. And now Timothy is there pastoring this now. He's not an apostle. He never met Jesus. He can't heal people the way Paul did. Paul said, take a little wine for your many ailments. I mean, all he's got is, well, I'm Paul's representative. And Paul says, don't let them despise your youth. You know, he was young. And he's got quite a job. And there's this big church that Paul built up for three years. But Paul said, you are adequate for this because God will make you adequate. And so Paul writes him back and he says, look, I left you there so that you could appoint elders. And when he starts out in chapter 1, he says, the reason I left you there, uh, I urged you, verse 3, when I went into Macedonia, that's over in Greece, stay in Ephesus, stay there, so you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines. That was his first problem. If you don't have a written Bible or a Westminster Confession of Faith, a large and shorter catechism, anybody can get up and say anything they want and say, this is God, this is from God, this is true doctrine. And who can refute them if you don't have a Bible? I mean, this was about 20 years before they started collecting the Bible letters in the New Testament. All Timothy could say is, number one, I represent Paul. He trained me. I know what's right and what's wrong. And if people would go along with that. But secondly, you know what he had? He had this letter written from Paul. And they got up and they read this to the church. Right? And that's why Paul goes through here. And he's got sections on uh, chapter 2. Prayers, requests, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. He's describing what worship should be like. And then uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 8. I want men. Okay, here's how men are supposed to act in the church. And then verse 9. I want women. Here's how women are supposed to act. And then he goes down and he says, now here's the way elders and deacons are supposed to look. And then he gets down to chapter 3, verse 14. He says, although I hope to come to you soon. He's over there in Achaia, in Macedonia, over there around Greece. He says, I hope, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I hope to come by and stop off in Ephesus and see you. But, he says, he says, uh, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, See, Paul understood that God is providential. And we make our plans, and God is one in, in charge. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. I think in ESV and King James says how to, um, how to behave. How to behave in God's household. And my original sermon title was uh, Behave Yourself. And Nick called me up and said, I'm picking songs. Is that meant to be funny? I said, I thought that same thing when I picked the title. And a, a translation is going to be funny. How people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, that tells you something. There's a certain way that we are supposed to conduct ourselves uh, as men, as women, as children, 
as business owners, as employees, as government officials. You know, there's certain ways we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the church because God is a God of order. In fact, all through the Bible, God is bringing order out of chaos. Let me give you an example of that, if I may. And where we're going with this is the idea that having officers in the church helps bring order to something that may not be ordered. In fact, it's an interesting thing if you go to Acts 6 in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, thousands of people had come to Christ. And they didn't have a printing press. They didn't have cell phones. and I mean, they had 11 apostles, 12 at this point, who could go around and teach, and then all the women. So they had a good team of teachers, but it had to be oral communication. So the priests, the Jewish priests, were watching this. They had experience working with Israelites, and they knew it's like herding cats. They knew that sooner or later, with all these thousands coming to the Lord, something was going to happen bad. It's just human nature. And they're just waiting and watching. And it did, Acts 6. The uh, Greek women, widows, are saying, we're not getting our food allocation because the people doing it are Jewish and they don't even speak our language. And they don't know who we are. And that could have split the church right then between Greek and Jew. And then the apostle said, look, you choose and we'll appoint six men and they're going to take care of this. And they were called deacons. And the next sentence says, many, the church grew and many people became Christians, including many priests. Because the priest says, look at this. God has to be at work because they handle this divisive issue in such a way it just went right on. See, God wants the church and the family and the government to be an oasis in the midst of chaos. Let me show you what I mean. One of my favorite pastors and bloggers is Tim Challies. Tim Challies. And he wrote something a few years ago that I've always treasured. There are many things we do in this world that grow wearisome over the course of a lifetime. Near the top of the heap may be the constant battle to bring order from chaos. This world and everything in it are constantly drifting toward chaos, entropy. Maybe even full out hurtling toward chaos. And a million times in a million ways, we take little actions to hold it back and to restore just a modicum of order. And he goes uh, later and, and gives some example. He says, um, he talks about uh, our families, homes, churches, vocations. We're all the time bringing order for chaos. He said, it's a good work. I'll show you why in a moment. As parents, we soon learn that our children come to this world in a state of utter chaos and anarchy. Screaming when they want to eat, filling their diaper whenever and whatever they feel the urge. They grow into willful toddlers who want to rule the home, who want to exercise authority over their parents and siblings, who already show startling signs of rebellion against both God and man. Our task is to love them, teach them, discipline, urge them, inform them. We form into people of order, of self-control, of self-respect, of selflessness, of godliness. Chaos in our family gives way to order. And he says, you have to do it again and again and again. I used to remember when we had three children, 
and saying the kids would go somewhere for an afternoon. First thing I did, because I don't like disorder, I'd go around and pick up every toy, every book. I put everything away. Okay, I could see the carpet, you know, for a change. And then I'd sit there and look around my ordered world. And I'd think, oh, boy, it's, it's so nice. And then they'd get back. How long do you think it took them? Five minutes. Where's all my toys? Where's my dolls? Where's my books? And Tim Challey says, uh, it's a never-ending task. He says, uh, as church members, we see the Lord save his people, and they come into our churches with barely a shred of Christian character. They are addicted to sex or substances. They use their words to harm rather than help. They have only the smallest knowledge of God and his ways. So we disciple them. We teach, reprove, correct, and train them. We display Christ-like love to them, and eventually, inevitably, we see chaos replaced by order. We do this again and again as God saves more and more people. Chaos is chased away by order. As people in our vocations, we do the same kind of work. We sweep and wax the hallway for the thousandth time. We edit the messy manuscripts. We train inert people to drop 20 pounds or run five miles. We write traffic tickets for the people who insist on parking in fire lanes. We teach another class of ignorant students. We weed another bed of flowers. It goes on and on, day after day and year after year. But all the while it goes from chaos to order. But you know where this started? It started in Genesis 1. And it says right there in Genesis 1, uh, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, chaotic. It was, uh, we don't know exactly what that's describing. But then it says, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse. God said, let there be sky. God said, let there be lights. Let there be water with teeming creatures. See, the original primordial mass that God created, it didn't exist as separate from him, he created ex nihilo from nothing. But he created this. But he created a lump, of a mass of chaos. And then he went in there and started ordering it. Night and day, creatures and seas, all that ordering. And then you know what he did? He said to Adam and Eve, here's your job. I have planted a garden, okay? I want you to tend it trim it. I want the garden to be, everything on the earth is just growing so abundantly. It's just chaos. It's just growing everywhere. I want there to be one garden on the face of the earth that is orderly, that is not chaotic. I created order out of chaos. Adam and Eve, you're created in my image, so your job is to bring order to this garden. You see, people, that's what we do as Christians. And that's what Tim Challey says. He said, it's a good work. In fact, let me not get away without saying this. He quotes um, Victor Hamilton. The point is made clear here that physical labor is not a consequence of sin. Work enters the picture before sin does. And if man had never sinned, he would still be working. 
Eden is not a paradise in which man passes his time in idyllic and uninterrupted bliss with absolutely no demands on his daily schedule. See, work came to Adam and Eve before they sinned because God is saying, I created, I bring order from chaos, and I want you to do this in this garden. You're in my image, and as I bring order out of chaos, I want you to bring order out of chaos. And you see, that's what we do. That's what we do as Christians. We do it in our home. We figure out the role of father and mother and children, and we follow a pattern. That's what we do in our government. Uh, Romans 13, Paul says, here's the way government is supposed to operate. Uh, we do it in our families. Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Timothy 2. Here's how men and women, old men, old women, young men, young women, here's how they're supposed to operate. And by doing that, we bring order out of chaos. And you know what people are looking for? Their lives are in chaos. They feel like they're holding back the tide. And they're trying to get through each day. Part of our job is to reflect God and say, here's how you can order your family. Here's how you can order your government. Here's how you can order your business, showing respect for people and paying a fair wage. Here's how you can order the church. Because often people see how God works in the church first. And so people, when they come, like those priests in Acts 6, and they see the church operating in an orderly and not a chaotic manner, they think like those priests, this is wonderful. This is amazing. I'd like to be a part of this. Now, nowhere is anyone perfect. The first thing that happened in Acts 6 is, is that, uh, who's the first deacon? Stephen preached a great sermon, and they stoned him to death. So we're not talking about idealism here. But we're talking about demonstrating God's work in our world. So in my outline there, I've given you chaos and order in the world, Genesis 1. We brought order out of chaos and to, to the Adam and Eve, order, order it here. In fact, he did it with Israel. You know, millions of people came out of Egypt, just a mob. He said, okay, I want you to divide up by tribes. And every time you camp, you're going to camp in this square by tribes. And then you're going to have a flag and a standard for your tribe. And whenever anyone saw Israel marching, they saw them marching in an orderly manner by tribes. And that's what scared the pagans so much. They said, there's order in these people. And where there's order, there's effectiveness. I even said, I don't know if you read this, it said, when you go out at night and go to the bathroom, here's the way you do it. Take a shovel with you, dig a hole, do your business, and cover it up. Do you know how revolutionary that was for the ancient pagan world? It's, it's revolutionary right now in India and Africa. You know, it's just go out in the bushes and leave whatever you want. And disease comes everywhere. That's how careful and orderly God was. So that's chaos and order in the world, chaos and order in the church. We're still human. 
And God says, I want the church organized a certain way. And that's how we come here in 1 Timothy 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, and that's where we get the word uh, episkopos, episkopos, scope, seeing, epi is over, overseer. That's the English translation. But that's where you get the word uh, episcopal, episcopal church, episcopos. And that's where you get the word bishop because in different languages, P's and B's and K's get mixed up. So episcopos become bishop. The P became a B and the other, that's, it's just a transliteration. And he said, you got two groups of people here, elders who shepherd and oversee and deacons who shepherd and manage and show mercy the way they did in Acts 6. And he goes through that, and then uh, if we want to look at it later, in 1 Peter 5, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Uh, did you know that Peter, the chief apostle, was an elder? He's what we call a super elder. Elders serve in the church where they're elected. Apostles serve in any church. So we no longer have super elders, you see. Uh, we have elders at each individual church. And he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That's uh, order in the church. That's God's plan. You know what the Greek word for elder is? It's uh, presbyter. So you know where you get the word Episcopal from? Overseer. You get the word Presbyterian from elder. Presbyter. Presbyterian. That's why we're Presbyterian. We don't have bishops. Uh, we have elders and deacons. And deacons assist the elders to oversee and manage and shepherd the flock. And Paul says uh, right here in verse 73, it's a noble thing noble thing if God has put in your heart to be an officer I had three daughters and said well what kind of man should we ask God I said first of all a man that fears God secondly a man that loves God I said if you want to get picky about it a man who's an officer in his church because that means that God has worked into his life so that he has these character qualities and he's willing to take on himself the harness of shepherding God's people. And that man will make a good husband and a good father and a good manager of the household. So I encourage men to seek the office, to desire the office. This is how we in the church disciple men is we get them involved in all sorts of ministries in the church and we move them toward being an officer. Because an officer is called, he has the character, he has the duties, and he believes the doctrine. 
Now, in the class, I'm going to spend talking with these men and their wives about calling and doctrine, okay? You're mostly concerned with character and duties. The duties are shepherding and overseeing elders, shepherding and managing and mercy deacons. So when you nominate, that's what you're looking for. And then you, there's the duties, then you're looking for the character. And that's elucidated clearly and in detail in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I tell you, my experience is that when uh, I taught this at my big church in Durham for 10 years, and I would start out with about 50 guys, and then 50 wives would be about 100, and then anybody else that wanted to come, there'd be another 20 or 30. Big class. At the end of the class, it never failed. 25 went on, men went on to stand for office, and 25 did because they said, first of all, I don't have time for this. I just took on a new job, built a new house. Well, that's great, buddy. We'll keep studying, and maybe in a year or two, we'll get you back. Thank you. Another one said, I never knew we believed this. Where did this come from? No problem. Let's spend a year or two. I'm going to get you some books, and you can read, and we'll meet together, and I'll prep you, and you can get study. Another one looks at the character and said, you know what? I got some things I got to work on, me and my wife. I said, that's wonderful. Go back and work on them. I'll work with you. And you come back in a year or two. So I get, out of 50, I'd get 25. The other 25 I would work with, and a year or two later, I'd get half of them. See how that works? It's a hopper. It was rolling. And here's what I say to you. Elders and deacons, your primary job is to be looking for men that you can encourage to go through this class and say, I see something in you, I think you might have potential. Well, I'm a long way from being elder or deacon, but you gotta start somewhere. Go to the class and figure out what's it, what it's all about. Deacons, you should be looking. As soon as we have an election in January, elders and deacons start looking. And you know who the best lookers are? The wives of elders and deacons. <laughs> you know, they know people, they know what's going on. In fact, we had a joke in my last church is that most of the people that were nominated were, the, were nominated by wives and elders of wives of elders and deacons because they just knew. And then we take them uh, uh, through this uh, process. And finally, that's uh, order in the church. Now, how about chaos and order in our lives? You remember the gathering demoniac? He was naked. That's what we say down south. He was nude. Couldn't wear clothes. He lived in a graveyard, and he'd run around, and he'd take sharp stones and cut himself. He'd scream and yell, hairs all around. Well, that's kind of derogatory for today, but it stood out back then. And Jesus came up to him, and he made him right. Out of his chaos came order. And he said, they gave him a blanket, and he's sitting there, and the King James says, in his right mind. Christ can change our lives because it's the sin and the shame and the falling short and the sense of guilt before a great and holy God that makes us feel so chaotic, chaotic and guilty because we are guilty. But God hasn't left us in that state. He, Genesis 1, he didn't leave the world in that state. He didn't leave the apostles in that state. He didn't leave his church in that state. He doesn't want to leave your life in that state. He wants to bring order out of chaos.
He wants you to come into his family where there's order. And through Jesus Christ, you can find out what your purpose in life is, your mission in life, what the vision God has for your life, and the values that you should live by. And you can learn how to order your vocation, your family, and your personal life. Order from chaos. That's how God works. And that's why I'm a Presbyterian. Because that's the pattern. And that gives us hope. Now, um, when you leave, they're going to give everybody this sheet. And I, I encourage you to participate. I know we've got a limited number. We've got 46 to choose from. And 10 or 15 of them are already officers. Even if we get a few, we're going to go through this process so I can leave you an example. But I told the guys in the office, I said, I'm going to hold this up. And I'm going to say, power to the people. <laughs> power to the people. God's people choosing, nominating the elected whom God has raised up to lead them and serve them. Power to the people. This is, this is yours. Let me say, is there a quick question you want to say before I pray? Anything occurred to you? You say, well, what about? Okay, you've got two and a half weeks to the end of October. Got it? Then, then we'll have a training class. Got it? Then the elders will examine. Got it? And then in January, we're going to give you a sheet of paper with a picture and a biography of each of the approved candidates. And they may even get up and share a little bit with you. And then at the annual meeting, you'll be able to elect. Is that making sense? All right. Aren't you glad God is a God of order? He brings order out of chaos because we live in a chaotic world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your character is orderly and that you demonstrated that in your creation and your preservation and that you give us the opportunity in our jobs and our families and our government and our church to be orderly and effective. Thank you for that, Lord. Give us an orderly church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.